my little flute benders, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully, and I'd like to throw a hearty bone tomahawk out there as well. Bone tomahawk a bone has tomahawk. turned out to be quite a uh, quite a wonderful thing for us. What a calling card. Um, so many people have connected to us through the greeting of bone tomahawk alone, Yes, and uh, as part of that, we, uh, we have a very special episode for you today. We sure do. Um, we are interviewing... The author of the first book out of Fangoria's uh, fuck. Now I'm not going to remember the Fangoria title. Fangoria presents. Fangoria presents a series of novels that are yes. horror and genre based. So we have Preston Fossil, yes, who uh, wrote. Uh, you'll say the title. Our Lady of the Inferno. Our Lady of the Inferno. It sounds really, really fucking wild, and uh, we were told it was based or inspired in some way by the 1984. Uh, we'll call it a. Uh, Horror, sci-fi, genre, sci-fi, comedy, beloved. I don't yeah. want to call it a trash picture because it's not no, trash, but yeah. like a beloved uh, uh, cheese picture. Yeah, uh, Night of the Comet. Yes, and uh, so we have him on the show to discuss the connections of that. Yes, Night of the Comet to his book Our Lady of the Inferno. Uh, he'll he'll tell you in the interview, but we'll tell you up front too. That book is available now. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's in some brick and mortar stores. Uh, I think after hearing the interview, you will probably be desperate to buy it, as Dan and I now are. Uh, it sounds like a real literary Pop-Tart. I really mm-hmm. like saying that phrase now that we've discovered it in the interview. Uh, and uh, just Anytime I hear brick and mortar, I hear Rick and Morty. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and I don't even fucking watch that show, but I can't. N- it's there. Oh, they should make a, a brick and mortar Rick and Morty store that is like some weird amalgamation of those words all together. Well, so, well, they should do an episode about it just that people can come up to me and be like, have you seen Brick Rick yet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you seen Brick Rick? Yeah. It, oh, Pickle Rick is one thing, but Brick Rick? Yeah, and yeah then, you know. exactly. Uh, so yeah, please enjoy this interview with uh, Preston and then uh, we'll come back afterwards to... Uh, you know, uh, uh, plug his social media and where you can get his book and, and all that. You're plugging stuff. the plugs. I'm plugging the plugs. You're plugging the Gotta plugs. Plug those plugs, Gotta baby. plug those plugs, baby. <laughs> what are plugs for if not to be plugged? Yo, plug away. No such thing as a bad plug. That's right. I think it was uh, Barnum Christ in the Bible that said <laughs> there is no such thing as bad press. That is what a hilarious it's amount of It's all the things of, there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, please. I don't want to leave anyone out. Exactly. I'm plugging. I'm plugging over plugging here. the plugs plugging while we plug the plugs. Okay. Uh, so yeah, please enjoy this interview with Preston Fossil, uh, the author of Our Lady of the Inferno. I, I almost said Our Lady Peace, which is why I tossed <laughs> that to you because I knew I was I knew I was going to say that. I, thankfully, uh, I drank way too much last night, and so my mouth isn't where it should be. As Christian as I was, I wasn't Catholic, so I didn't have that like oh, you know enough. loaded up into my uh, <laughs> loaded up into my shotgun there. Uh, so yeah, enjoy this interview with uh, Preston Fassel, and we'll see you on the other side. Bone Tomahawk to you, Preston Fassel. Thank you for being on I Like to Movie Movie today. Good Bone Tomahawk to you. Yes, Bone Tomahawk. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Uh, as, a, as a resident of the new Fangoria, we were, uh, we were so excited to receive an email from you guys that started with our official greeting, Bone Tomahawk. Uh, it's great to know that uh, the people over there are somehow aware of us and our Bone Tomahawking podcast. 
You know, I, I, I'm not exactly quite sure myself how we came across y'all. Just I remember coming in one morning, and uh, I think it was Natasha, our social media director, was just saying, you've got to hear this. They're these, these, these guys, and they start at their show with Bone Tomahawk. I love it. That's amazing. My ego has just uh, doubled, tripled. That is, uh, that is phenomenal. So you, uh, you are a writer, and you have yep. written a book that, I, as I understand, we'll be seeing publication very soon, or if not already. And can you tell uh, yeah, us a little bit about uh, that? Yeah, it's uh, called Our Lady of the Inferno, and it uh, went into print on September 11th. It's available now through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, select uh, brick-and-mortar retail stores. And it is my ode to the neon-drenched new wave horror films of the 1980s that I grew up on. Well, I love uh, that you said <laughs> neon-drenched. That's a theme on our show. Garrett is a fan of movies that are particularly, as you would say... Uh, they look like a Pop-Tart. I like to say that uh, neon-drenched movies look like Wildberry Pop-Tarts, and some of my favorite movies are Pop-Tart movies. And this is uh, definitely a Pop-Tart book, uh, <laughs> set against the backdrop of 1983 Times Square, and it's the intersecting stories of two different women. One is uh, named Jenny Curva. She's a 21-year-old runaway from the Midwest who has kind of become a small figure in New York's criminal underworld. And then the other is a woman named Nicolette Astor, who is the safety inspector at the Staten Island landfill, who moonlights as a serial killer who ventures into Times Square after dark and kidnaps unsuspecting women to take back to the dump and hunt like animals. And she sets her sights on Ginny, but does not realize that this unassuming girl who looks like a reject from a Susie Sue concert is actually the more dangerous of the two of them. And it's this uh, pay-on to 1980s horror leading up to this ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny between these two alpha women of the 1980s. You're listing all of my favorite things. Yeah, I think you just sold two copies of your book. <laughs> That is, uh, so one of the things that I, I'm very interested in by that is sort of the theme of, of uh, underestimating women. That was a lot of what I got out of Night of the Comet, having just watched it for the first time the other night. Uh, once I sort of read up on your book and what it was, I made the connection pretty immediately to why you suggested this movie as something we could talk about tonight. Um, I, I would assume that's something that you were, you were interested in with the story. That's, I would assume, why you pointed us in the direction of this movie. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Uh, really, Night of the Comet kind of had like a direct influence on my writing this book. Um, before I started work on this, I was struggling to write a book that was about the employees of a grindhouse theater in the 1970s. Ooh. And I spent, I spent years researching and writing this thing. And it ended up ballooning up to like 250,000 words. Oh, and there were like 20 main characters and nothing had really happened, and it was just terrible. So you wrote The and Stand? You're telling me you wrote The Stand? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote The Stand of Grindhouse Theater employee books. <laughs> Except it had no Randall flag, and it was nowhere near as good. <laughs> Fair. And, All right. and, and it was just missing something. I couldn't put my finger on what this thing was lacking, that nothing was coming together. And... Uh, Sometime during all of this, I'd gotten Netflix, and I had just put this this ton of random 80s movies and random horror movies on my, my Netflix queue. And I was just, I'd forgotten what I'd put on there. And so every time I would send the disc back, I would get kind of a surprise in the mail. It was like, oh, what's this? I forgot I put this on there. 
Oh, and I miss those days with night. Netflix. Sounds like an appealing service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I would sign up for now. Yeah. And uh, one one night, I put in the movie that I got, and then it's this thing called Night of the Comet. And I sit there, and I watch this thing kind of in awe, and the movie ends, and I say to myself, that's what you're missing. That's what you don't have. That sense of fun and that sense of anarchy and that ambiance and that aesthetic, you're missing all of that. You're missing Night of the Comet. I, and I like so, to bring up the aesthetic because... Uh, the way that Los Angeles is portrayed, I mean, the, the quintessential way that we always talk about is Michael Mann like owns the lens of, of Los Angeles. But um, this this is nothing like that, but still casts that same, how should I put it, uh, cozy but distasteful ambiance. I, I loved that about this movie. Yes, yes. And that's what I needed and that's what I wanted in the story. And so when I sat down to do Our Lady of the Inferno, Night of the Tom, it was very much at the forefront of my mind. And against really conscious expectations, uh, I kind of ended up turning one of the characters in my story into a sort of homage to uh, Sam Belmont in the movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of di- a, lot of di- a lot of the dynamic between the, the two sisters, her primary characters in the book, Jenny and her sister Trish, they kind of turned into like, uh, like Reggie and Sam from Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I'm, I'm curious about based on what you just said, Preston, is so you watch Night of the Comet and the aesthetics are one of the things that are very appealing to you. How do you translate aesthetics like that into, uh, into words? Like, how do you translate that into a, into a, into a book? Um, there's, a lot of em- there's a lot of emphasis on color in the book. Um, I, uh, I did study art in school. I didn't go to school for it, but uh, all of my electives, I had an art elective every year throughout high school, throughout middle school and college. I took several art electives to fill out uh, different credits. And so I can take that. And I can take my knowledge of color and uh, different uh, different aesthetic techniques and translate that into words. And I'm very happy to say that some of the positive reviews I've gotten uh, mention the descriptiveness of the story and that reading this, you can see the neon and you can see the grime and the grit and the color and you can smell the filth. Ooh, I love that. Now, I uh, I was reading the Wikipedia entry about your novel. We're and, really good at research. Oh yeah, and they um, uh, apparently you received some acclaim for the portrayal of your, I guess villain would be the word. I don't know how it all shakes out, but uh, in a comparison to her uh, as Patrick Bateman, and in reading American Psycho, that is a book that goes very very heavy into detail, uh, almost metatextually to a fault, and. Uh, where does that comparison line up? Do you think that's a valid comparison to Patrick Bateman? I think so, because to all outward appearances to her co-workers, Nicolette is just this quiet, shy, reserved businesswoman. She's very good at her job. She's middle-aged and she's single. Everybody around her just assumes that she's kind of this quiet spinster from the suburbs, doesn't want to be bothered. And half the book is focalized through her. And you get to see how other people see Nicolette's. And then when you actually get into Nicolette's mind, it's just sheer animalistic hatred and carnage and just borderline frothing at the mouth madness. But it's all beneath the surface. That is beautiful. Now, so this is told, it's not just about these two women, it's from the points of view of each of these two women? 
In a way, uh, there's, a, there's a writing technique called free and direct discourse, where you're still in the third person, so it's not I or me, it's still he or she, but the writing style changes so that you're, what you're reading is focalized the way that this person would think. You know, that's and something so I notice in Stephen King a lot. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and so Nicolette's sections where we're inside of her mind, she's got this flattened affect, and she's uh, she's not a very poetic person. She's a violent, vicious, blunt, direct person. And so her sections of the book, I used more simple sentences. I didn't use as many contractions. I kind of went out of my way that you know if I could get away with do nots instead of don'ts and not mess up the rhythm of the story. I went ahead and did that and. Her sections of the book are more Ernest Hemingway, and then Ginny's sections of the book are more of Scott Fitzgerald. Because Ginny's very bright, she's very poetic, she's very well-versed in science and literature, and so her sections of the book are more compound, complex sentences, and much more vivid description, and much more pleasant to read generally than Nicolette's sections. That sounds absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, so interested to read this. One of the other things I read, Preston, is um, that the book has already been optioned for uh, a movie adaptation. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, the uh, the film rights were purchased by Fangoria along with the publication rights. Oh, yes, because this will be the first Fangoria Presents, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, this is the uh, the first novel under the uh, Fangoria Presents imprint. It is going to be a uh, literary imprint of Fangoria magazine. And as a matter of fact, the uh, the second one just came out. So it's uh, called My Pet Serial Killer by Michael J. Seidlinger. We kind of did a uh, Fangoria serial killer double feature for our first two books. That's so cool. Man, I have so much shit to read, and you're just adding stuff to my plate. Thanks, Preston. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love the idea that we're about to get Fangoria's launching like a, uh, you know, a modern Goosebumps for adults, <laughs> you know? It's pretty good. In a way, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, so uh, let, let's talk, let's get a little more into uh, Night of the Comet. Well, I, before we get away from sure. your book, I would, I would like to ask... Uh, do you see a way for your book to be translated to the screen? Um, you know, if it's being told somewhat in the voice of these two characters, can you can you envision it in a way? Like, can you envision what that script would look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a director. If you put me behind a, a movie camera, it would probably that movie would probably turn out worse than like some Ted Wood stuff. Like, I'd, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd probably give you like I'd probably give you the room of horror movies, <laughs> but. Um, from a conceptual standpoint, my idea would be that Jimmy's section of the movie is very lush and very colorful, and there'd be a lot of sections of the film with close-ups on characters and maybe uh, filming the characters in a way that was a bit more intimate where it felt like you were in the room with them because Jimmy has this very poetic, very beautiful soul. At the same time, she can be a vicious fighter. She is uh, she's the consummate butter wolf. And then the left sections of the film are with saturate the colors. I would uh, shoot with a lot of stark whites. I would have a lot of uh, stark overhead and backlighting. Um, Adrian Lyon, some of his films from the 80s, like nine and a half weeks, he had this technique where he would have the the back of the characters are completely white, completely brightly lit. So they were almost like these, these semi-silhouettes. And I would want a lot of stuff like that. I would want Nicolette's sections of the film to 
be very devoid of music and very devoid of color and detached feeling, and I would want those scenes shot from a distance so you didn't have that closeness. I think that, that would probably be the best visual way to represent those points of view in the story. That's interesting, shooting uh, sort of the points of view in, in kind of, uh, not entirely different, but having very distinct visual looks for each point of view. Mm-hmm. It gives me a whole new yeah. concept of just... I, I I love reading adaptation, uh, you know, reading books that are adapted or you know, vice versa, and kind of doing it as a companion piece to movies. And I've never really been able to put words down. I've never been able to come up with a way to describe how you know somebody's prose can be converted to the cinematic language. And uh, the way that you describe that actually brings a little bit of clarity to that idea. Like I remember watching that adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Mm-hmm. Probably the best uh, adaptation you could do of a book like that, but every piece of that book's value is in the prose and how it's written, because not much happens plot-wise. And to see that translated cinematically never made that connection, and I always wondered what that disconnect was. And Preston, the way you've just described that, uh, that helps me out a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, I'm curious, Preston, so Night of the Comet, I-, I had never seen this. I know I had heard about it a little bit, um, but uh, when I watched it, I, I was really excited by it because I, I kept telling Dan, I was like, I think you're going to really like this because it reminded me of like Night of the Creeps or Return of the Living Dead. It's like, yes. it's a genre movie that is kind of winking at us in its in its execution, but none of the performers are winking at us. There's a lot of dialogue in it that's like very funny, but no one's performing it as if it's a joke. You just have to be listening for those jokes. That's one of my favorite tones for a movie where it's like a little bit of a wink, but it's not like so self-impressed that it's winking at me, if that makes sense. No, it does. And actually a fun bit of trivia, uh, when they shot the movie, several scenes they actually shot twice and they would shoot one scene with the actresses delivering the dialogue as though it were comic. And then they would shoot another scene with them delivering it completely straight. And there's actually kind of two different movies out there. One that's like a, like tongue in cheek, like deadpan sort of comedy. And then one that's a much more blatant, like we're doing this as a comedy comedy. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, because like I to me, like one of the the kind of the big moment in the movie that I like kind of like stuck with me was right there at the very end when they're on that street corner and they've made this makeshift family. And uh, uh, I think I can't, is it Hector or I think the younger sister is like, why are you stopping at the stopwalk? And uh, mm-hmm. and the the older sister says, uh, the burden of society now lies on our shoulders. Burden of civilization, civilization. Yeah. That's what it is. And that is like such a funny line, but it's delivered in like this very precise tone where it's not, it is, it's that perfect, it's winking at me just enough, but not so much that I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it, you know? And that's something else that I kind of carried over into my book too, the character Jenny, uh, I I half imagined Catherine Mary, Catherine Mary Stewart delivering some of this dialogue the way that Reggie does, where some of the stuff that Ginny says in the book, if you kind of step back from it at certain points, it's kind of psychotic, but the way that she speaks in the book, the way that I have her writing, it, it comes across with this sort of flip wry attitude that, that that underlying menace doesn't necessarily come through right away. That was something I absolutely loved about the film. That well, Her character was fascinating to me, 
uh, partially because she's she's perfectly able. She's well trained in karate, apparently, <laughs> and she seems to have that rebel spirit. But then by the end, she has almost flipped the coin entirely and embraced this domestic lifestyle, even if just in the name of preserving civilization. And uh, it is kind of bonkers and psychotic. But to the credit of the movie, I mean, it had me on board with that flip a hundred percent of the way. Yeah, and I like the idea that she hasn't necessarily, like, domesticated herself, but now that there's no threat, she can kind of slide back into this. Mm. Before everything everything hits the fan, she's working in a movie theater, she's kind of doing, like, regular teenage girl stuff, and then the apocalypse happens, and then she, you know, flips this switch and goes into kung fu killer mode. And I like (laughs) the idea that... You know, in this universe, she's still out there, and if the threat ever rises again, she can flip that switch and go back into that mode. I want to watch an adjacent movie that just follows the same period of time as DMK experienced it. Yeah. Because (laughs) it would start in the same spot with him playing that video game and getting sixth place. Uh, A Tempest, was it? Or was that later? Either way. And uh, playing Tempest, getting sixth place. And then he just rolls up in a car later with his vanity license plate. Yeah. I want to know what happened to DMK in the the interim. Although it seems like he was was uneventful. He seemed at peace. Yeah. And he's amassed a nice little sports car collection for himself. But yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> that like the uh, you know the male character that experienced the same thing as our female protagonists. What he experienced was just like, oh great, now I can yeah. loot everything I ever wanted to. I can have all the things I've ever wanted. It's not about survival for him. It's it's about amassing things. He's like, see, I'm right. I was entitled to all this <laughs> yeah, free shit. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, like the idea. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, no, please. Uh, we we want to hear from you. What what do, you, what do you got? Oh, I was just going to say I like the idea that this like kind of pudgy, nerdy little preppy kid has like also shown down with zombies, and that like you know six hours before that finale, with that jolly little kid is screaming with a machine gun and mowing down hordes of uh, the not quite undead. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was interesting too. The the I mean, th- this movie has like a bunch of weird little subplots that I really liked, just in the kind of tongue in cheek way that the movie was delivering them. But like the, just these like half lives, like this idea that like it didn't take everyone, but the people it didn't take got infected. Well, it's a slow infection. Yeah, yeah, and and, and then there's this research group that are survivalist hippies and or they pull a great twist on that research group because the one scientist you think that she like doesn't want to save anybody right and then we find out that she just doesn't want them to be killed for the hubris of her and, and her fellow scientists right yeah. that was a wild twist i i enjoyed that reveal yeah it's i was i was just fascinated by all, all the weird little kind of subplots the movie was taking that it mm doesn't explore that much but i think is actually kind of better for it we get like just enough of those things there's a gang that took over a mall yeah right yeah Where's oh that movie i want to see that movie dude the dude the whoever the guy is that uh is the one over the intercom yeah that was like some of my favorite stuff in the movie those shots of him and his weird face and his body language as he's talking into the microphone mm-hmm. loved it I, I love just the whole world of that movie yeah. like people ask what it's about like what happens in it and like uh, like I say, the good thing, not a lot really happens. It's just kind of like all of these like crazy set pieces taking place in this like anarchic universe. 
Yeah, it's totally true. Like even the um, you know, the radio station was so funny to me as a setting just at face value because mm-hmm. it looks like a nightclub. Like I've never there's no radio station on the planet that looks like that. It's the 80s, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the 80s. And, but I loved that. I loved that choice of just like yeah, we're gonna make this total like alternate universe radio station where well, it's also one that's run by a DJ that's not there. Yeah, He's right. He's just got yes. tapes timed perfectly yeah. to deliver news, which is hilarious because that's like uh, that is actually how a lot of radio stations operate now. Is just on like uh, automatic loops of of songs and pre-recorded oh, yeah. things. Yeah, it's very uh, very funny the way. I, I guess maybe that might have been true at the time too. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but it's yeah. the '80s, man. Yeah, everything was a nightclub. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, lo- I just I loved that aesthetic choice of turning the uh, the the radio station into like a nightclub. I, it was just so funny to me as soon as and then they spent so much time there, like the, like a th- half hour oh, of the yeah. movie takes place inside of that radio station. There was a point where I thought that would be the movie that it would just be like a, an assault on precinct thirteen at the radio station, you mm-hmm. know, assault on WKRP or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, Doctor Johnny Fever versus the Undead. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, and I enjoyed, too, uh, in the way that it portrayed the two leading women, even when they were in peril, it was never... It was like a different type of peril. Like, there's the point where, uh, now I'm going to forget her name, but the, the younger sister is throwing shoes at man, men with machine guns. Yeah. And, and it's working. Yeah. And it's working. Yeah. And, and it's complete. It's right after they had a great girls just want to have fun 80s dress up montage. Yep. And now she's throwing spiked heels at, at the villains and, and making some headway with it yeah. and showing no fear. And that, that's, a, that's a cool reality for a world. And I think that speaks to the world building of the movie is that at that moment, logic would have me saying, get get down, stop throwing fucking shoes. But in that movie, it's like, yeah, you go, girl, hit him with that shoe. Because it feels right in this world of this movie. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you've got a a film that's got these two two action women Mm -hmm. that takes them seriously and portrays them as complete characters. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I hated in the 90s was there was this slew of action films that had these supposedly strong, complex female characters, but they weren't. They just dressed like badasses and kicked a lot of people. And that was it. And they were were generally kind of unpleasant characters. They were not people that you would want to spend any appreciable amount of time around in real life, and they didn't have any kind of depth or nuance to them. They just beat people up really well and had nice wardrobes. (laughs) You obviously have not seen Barbed Wire. (laughs) (laughs) Not not really a big Tamla Anderson fan. (laughs) No, no. But, I mean, you know, 20 years before that, you already had Night of the Comet. You already had the foundation for this. It's this movie that's really ahead of its time in that way. It's a depiction of, uh, of heroines and films. And I think it's something that's really primed for more of a mainstream rediscovery. Yeah, I, I totally... I mean, that was, like I said at the beginning of this, that was kind of my main takeaway of this movie that I, I was really kind of thrilled with was... Um, I wrote a quick review of it uh, earlier in the week, and one of the things I said that I liked about it so much is it is a movie that is kind of distinctly through a male lens. Like, the um, the protagonist is kind of like an 80s kid's fantasy of a girl. She's really into video games. She works at a movie theater. Um, but, and then there's even, you know, there's some jokes in the movie where, like, I think at one point one of the 
scientist or whatever says something like, of all the people to survive, it's these two dumb girls. You know, something to that effect. So there is this kind of male lens through which the movie uh, uh, treats these women. But at the end of the day, the movie is like a huge celebration of these two characters. The movie goes out of its way. The the two characters go out of their way throughout the entire movie to just sort of prove that they're being underestimated at every turn. They are totally capable of defending themselves. They're totally capable of, as you said, they're still like also likable people to be around because they can defend themselves. That doesn't negate that they could also be like a, an enjoyable, you know, person to spend time with. And I, I really liked that yeah. the movie was kind of, I don't know, able to illustrate the, the, these two women in that way. It, it was very impressive to me. And they're not just, they're not even just female shaped male analogs. Either. Right, exactly. No, they, they do yeah. have a shopping montage, yes. you know, and, and it, yeah, I, I guess that's all there is to it. Yeah. It's just a great movie. <laughs> it, re- it really is. It really, really. I enjoyed is. the hell out of it. And I, I truly, I think it would make a great double feature with Night of the Creeps. That was all I could think of when I was watching it. I was like, I want to show those two movies back to back. I think that would be like the most fun. Actually, my dream double bill has always been Shopping Mall and Night of the Comets because Ooh, Kelly Maroney, yeah, Kelly Maroney, who plays the younger sister Sam in Night of the Comets, she's the final girl in Shopping Mall, oh. and she like really, she really amps up the badass factor in uh, Shopping Mall. She kind of has the same arc that uh, that Reggie goes through in Night of the Comet, except now it involves blowing up robots. Yeah. Oh, oh, right on. Now I have to see Chopping Mall. I know all about Chopping Mall. I know it's about a mall where a bunch of security robots go nuts and start killing people. And uh, I'm sold. That's yeah. all I need to know. I just would like to see it again, knowing that that's the same actress. It's been years since I've seen Chopping Mall. Huh. It'll it'll play it exhumed. Oh, for sure. Soon enough. Yeah. But Preston, actually, that's a good question. Where are you based? Where are you located out of? Dallas. Dallas? Okay. Uh, so are um, uh, what kind of... Um, so Dan and I are in Philly. Uh, we have like a group here called Exhumed Films that screens a lot of. Um, uh, they screen like thirty-five millimeter prints of a lot of stuff from the seventies and eighties. Um, yeah, a lot dude of who runs it's a collector. Yeah, and so he collects all reels of film he can get, and mm-hmm. it's just a large portion of them happen to be horror and grindhouse yeah. uh, era fare. Uh, so I'm curious if there's anything your way down in Dallas where you get to kind of experience some of this kind of stuff on the big screen occasionally. Oh uh, yeah, we got the Alamo Draft House down here. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, uh, just last month I got to see a uh, screening of Carrie in 35 millimeter. That oh, was awesome. Nice. Holy shit, that's awesome! I love that movie. Uh, and oh, that's I, cool. I'm, I'm kind of in an ongoing like cursed battle with the local theaters here because uh, oh, another one I've got to give a shout out to the Texas Theater. Uh, this is actually the theater where they arrested Lee Harvey Oswald after the Kennedy assassination. Nice. And now it's it's not quite a revival theater. They do show first-run stuff there, like indie films, but yeah. a lot of the times their lineup is stuff like, uh, you know, The Shining and 35mm mm. or, uh, yeah. And I'm kind of in a running battle with them and Alamo Draft House because every time either Alamo or the Texas Theater was showing Videodrome in 35, I'm either out of town or I've got something else that I can't get out of. And it never fails. And that is my goal for 2019, is I will see Videodrome in 35mm oh. at either Alamo or the Texas Theater. That just... I, it, I, I love Videodrome deeply. Yeah. And I've only seen it on, on DVD. Uh-huh. And now that you've mentioned that, 
it's becoming a mission of mine as well. Yeah, now I'm sorry, Preston. I think I'm going to have to hold off on buying your book so I can save for some tickets to <laughs> Dallas so I can see that in 35. That's uh, man, I didn't even th- I the the thought had never crossed my mind, and now that's all yeah. I want to do. Ooh, that movie Ooh. is so excellent. Yeah, that. Well, I, oh one, yeah. I think probably mutually one of our favorite episodes of our uh, of our podcast was our our video drum episode. That is um, that is a movie that just provides like infinite conversation I-, I could never stop talking about that movie it gets better and better oh, every time i watch it because it gets more and more prescient yeah but also as you watch uh james woods himself get get eaten alive by his excesses of social media yeah it's he doesn't heed the lessons of videodrome at all <laughs> yeah. it's fantastic watching watching this whole thing just snowball yeah man i, I never thought of that there's there's some weird meta meta stuff going on there isn't there oh yeah that that we we rewatched it maybe a year ago i think for the podcast probably now a year or two, something yeah. like that and it is like you know watching it now it's a really fascinating movie because it's all about you know avatars and how we can live on through the things that we record on technology beyond our 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 own you know uh, mortal expiration dates it's it's all about it's not real until it's on a screen somewhere yeah yeah and that's like that's what we live in yeah Ugh. i know there's that line like brian oblivion is not my birth name it's my video name yes, right. One yes. Day we'll all have video names and it's like street names yeah exactly yep. we're living in that world now it's that that movie is like uh Boy, is that a nightmare that somebody made before anybody had that nightmare, you know? And now we're all living mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Um, but you know what, though? I keep playing with my phone against all odds, and I still don't have a vagina belly with guns in it. <laughs> and that's a perk that I would actually like. <laughs> yeah. And it hasn't happened. So <laughs> it's not as prescient as we say. You just got to wait for that iOS 13 update. Oh, my God. If it has belly gun vaginas, <laughs> man. Um, so, uh, Preston, uh, tell tell people where uh, where the so you said the book is on Amazon. Uh, where el- where else can they get it? Where else can they find you? Like, where can they find more of your writing and stuff? Uh, I'm available on Twitter uh, at Preston Fossil. Uh, last name is spelled F A S S E L. Lady Inferno is also available through Barnes and Noble, and then some independent brick and mortar stores are also carrying it. And then I'm actually a uh, staff writer for Vangoria Magazine, and I've got two pieces in the uh, in the first issue. Uh, one of them is about my experiences on the sets of the new Puppet Master movie. Uh, I was an extra in the film, and I got to kind of hang around the set and see some stuff go down. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you watch Puppet Master, The Little Strike, the very first scene is Udo Kier's character, Chulan, walking into a bar. And that was actually a pickup shot, and you're actually seeing me. I was you know, here's Bob Double because uh, I was the one person that they had on hand, kind of on the payroll, and fit into the costume. That's uh, hilarious. <laughs> that is. I got to hang yeah. What a great way, like, like, what a great story to tell people that you were Udo Kier's, like, body double, basically. And I got to, to hang around that this night that they were doing all these pickup shots and got to see all of this. This cool stuff go down, and he said the article was about that and about the special effects for the film. I uh, I interviewed Chris Steinsoft, who's uh, the special effects guru who brought all the puppets to life. And then my other article that's actually going to be a recurring column in the in Zagoria. It's called Corrupt Signals, and it's uh, my take on 
all of these old and obscure horror films in my collection and stuff that I grew up watching on like satellite or late night cable. Uh, uh, the very first entry is a film called Sweet Home, which is a, a Japanese film from the 1980s. And this movie is actually indirectly responsible for the survival horror genre of video games. If you can read this uh, article and learn about that. Whoa, that's right really on. cool. Tell me the title of the uh, column again. Oh, my, my column is called Corrupt Signals. Corrupt signals. Corrupt signal. That's well, my cool. issue just shipped this week, so I'm hoping to have it very, very soon. I can't wait to read this. Fantastic! Let me know what you think. Excellent. Oh, we will. Excellent. Uh, we we'd love to to keep up with you too, because um, this was uh, this was a great conversation for the show. We really appreciate it. Um, is, is there oh, anything yeah. else that you uh, you know you want to plug or let people know about it? Anything that we uh, we missed talking about it regards your book or Night of the Comet? Oh, uh, no, I think we covered a lot of good bases. Uh, I guess the last thing to say is, uh, you know, also check out my pet serial killer by Michael J. Seidlinger. Uh, follow Fangoria on all of our social media. Uh, we are at Fangoria on Twitter, Instagram, and Fangoria on Facebook. And uh, subscribe to Fangoria.com. Love Excellent. it. Thank Excellent. you so much for your time, Preston. We really, really appreciate it. We'll put up links Thanks to your book and me. everything, and hopefully... Uh, bunch of people get their hands on it including yeah. us thank uh, you. you you definitely sold two copies tonight for sure and, and probably quite a few more from our listeners so uh I, if thank it, you very much yeah if they like our show they i think are probably very interested in your book you've already described it as a literary pop tart i'm i'm putting words in your mouth but uh i would read every literary pop tart you published so <laughs> i think people are going to be into it thank you very much i appreciate it and thank you for having me on and you yeah. know what? I haven't heard you chew once, so thank you for putting dinner on hold to chat with us. Yeah, <laughs> much appreciated. I do not have that type of strength, so thank you. No, it's fine, Greg. Yeah, actually, I've uh, just been taking it out of the oven the last couple of minutes here as I've been talking. Oh, right on, <laughs> Fantastic. right on. Hopefully uh, the beeping sounds didn't get picked up too loudly. No, no, you're fine, you're fine. Um, well, thanks again, Preston, uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure we link you to the episode when it goes up and all that kind of stuff, and we'll throw links to your book in there and everything. Thank you, I appreciate it. Y'all have a great rest of the night. Yeah. All right, Bone, Bone Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk to you. Yeah. Uh, all right, thank you, Preston. Sorry, so that was kind of the end of the record there, but to, thanks again. We, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Of course, awesome. happily. And if you're uh, if you're ever in Philadelphia, please let us know. We'll uh, you know we'll 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 buy you beer, get you out to a screening or something. We'd we'd love to meet up. Yeah, I think I should try and uh, see if uh, our editor in chief wants to hook up with y'all because he lives up there. We actually had him on the show recently. He's yeah, he he's a previous oh, well. guest. I have a feeling that might be how we ended up coming across somebody's desk over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably why. Yeah, um, but we're also—I mean, we are—we are legit huge Bone Tomahawk fans. So once once we connected all the dots that that uh, Fangoria was being released by the guy that produced that movie and stuff, we were like, oh, okay, now yeah. we get it. Now we know what's happening. Well, right now it's on, a really cool. Story. Oh. oh no, what were I'm you sorry, saying? Go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was just gonna say it's a cool story. Like he is like legit a kid who grew up reading Fangoria and then decided to buy it. Uh, Dallas Sonia, who produced Ben Tomahawk. Yeah. Because uh, he like grew up watching horror movies, grew up reading Fangoria, would go on the weekends with his dad to the bookstore and read Sports Illustrated in Fangoria. And then, you know, he makes good and then Fangoria goes under. He says, well, hey, somebody needs to save this thing that I love. And then he thinks, well, wait, I've got the money to do it myself. I'm going to do it. 
That's amazing. That's such a gift to uh, other horror nerds out there too. It's wild that it's all coming back to to actual print. Yes, you know, so many uh, entities are going back to actual print, and yeah, Fangoria was a magazine that that I probably purchased at least on a monthly basis, uh, even if it was just old issues stacked yep. up at Barnes and Noble all the time. Just because I wanted to see, you know, this new creature's teeth or whatever it was. I, <laughs> yeah, I wanted yeah. it all. And so I, I'm so excited to have it back. I yeah. cannot wait to hold this crisp new issue and smell it and read it. And, yeah. Uh, it's gonna oh, be man, beautiful. you're you're going to be amazed because we we made it look like the old magazine. Mm-hmm. But we made it feel. Dallas's description was north of a magazine, south of a coffee table book. Ooh, that's perfect. I love that. The, um, and this thing probably probably weighs about two pounds. Sweet. Yeah, I saw that it's like uh, like 163 pages or something. It's a beast. Good. Yeah. Uh, 116, 116 pages. Yeah. This feels similar to like the, the birth movie's death of when they did, like I bought their Stephen King issue and it was like that where it wasn't quite a coffee table book, but like I wasn't ready to just roll it up and jam it in my pocket either. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love that feel. Oh, we and love actually, stuff. it's uh, cool. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's cool you mentioned that because we sniped their old editor. He's our managing editor now. That's probably one of the reasons. Oh, there you go. I uh, love that. That's great. Yeah, Mer- Meredith Borders, who used to be the editor of Birth Movies Death, we uh, snatched her away and we made her our managing editor. I thought that's who you meant. She's wonderful. Yeah. I, I really like Meredith and her writing. I, that what an excellent mm-hmm. get for you guys. That's fantastic. Yeah, and she uh, she did a set visit to Halloween. Uh, and spent like a week on the set, just like fooling around with Jamie Lee Curtis and and the director, and he's like, she's got the feature article in there about her on the Halloween set. Nice. Oh my god, that's uh, amazing. That movie. Well, I'll tell you what, you might have just earned yourself ten more minutes on the podcast. I might cut some of this right into the end of it because I think this is worthwhile yeah. stuff for people to hear. Sell a few magazines yeah, too. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Preston, seriously, thank you again. We really appreciate your time, and and this was uh, great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You all have a great rest of the night. Yeah, all you right. too, Preston. Enjoy your Thank dinner. you. Bone Tomahawk, sir. Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. Movie, movie. Here we are on the other side. <laughs> We're back. We're back, back, baby. That was our interview with Preston Fossil. You can check out his book, Our Lady Peace. Um, <laughs> our Lady no, of the Inferno. Our Lady of the Inferno. It is available online. It's at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, yep. uh, some Rick and Morty stores. <laughs> There's it's, it's everywhere. So you definitely want to get it. Yes. And um, I'm going to get it, so you can borrow mine. And um, but you should still get it anyway. Yes. Give, him, give him some money. And uh, he's coming out of the Fangoria Presents label uh, that is going to be putting out a bunch of ho- uh, horror novels, I believe, uh, moving forward, uh, including another one he plugged there in the interview. Um, but you can find Fangoria online. We recommend you subscribe. I believe Dan's issue is on its way to it his is mailbox on its way. now. I got the confirmation email yes. uh, earlier in the week. And uh, oh my god, I, I like I'm actually hoping when I get home tonight it's there because that's what I'm gonna fall asleep reading. Uh, yeah, and I I was uh, looking at some pictures of it from its uh, its big premiere party, and it's this enormous magazine that is just gorgeous. I I can't wait to pick up a copy myself. Um, so yeah, check out Fangoria. Uh, thank you to them for passing us uh, Preston as somebody to speak with. We had a great time talking with him. And uh, you can find Preston uh, on Twitter. I believe he gave you that address during the interview. And you can find us 
online. Uh, we're at I Like Two Movie. That's numeric two on Twitter.com. I don't know why I needed to tell you it was Twitter.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash I Like Two Movie. We're on Tumblr. We're on all the social medias. Uh, and um, you can email us, I Like Two Movie at gmail.com. If you could connect us with somebody like Preston, we'd love to hear from you, or we'd just like to get some recommendations for connect movies us with you in the future. Yeah, please. We want to hear it from you. Uh, and uh, that's yeah. everything. You're Philadelphia. I'm Philadelphia. I'm on Twitter Scully. and Letterboxd and all, all that, that stuff. stuff. Yeah. I also want to drop this uh, quick plug uh, at the Ritz Movie Theater on it's Ritz Five on October 30th. They are screening John Carpenter's The Thing, mm. and I'm going to be dropping a, a hot, tasty intro. So definitely come out. That'll be an opportunity if you want to come up and say hey and geek out about some shit. I am there for the sole purpose of geeking out. And uh, yeah, we'll get some movie, movie flyers and swag, and I'll be tossing that out to you as well. So definitely come check it out. And uh, you, you don't want to miss the thing. Yeah, it's, Dan, it's I, thing. I can't wait for that. It's gonna I, be so much fun. One of my all-time favorite movies. We, we actually actually have to talk because I'm gonna need to tap your brain before I write this Please. full intro out because we're gonna it. have to get there. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's one of my favorite movies, and I'm so excited that you're gonna get to do the intro for it. I think that's gonna be a blast. I will probably be there, support my buddy Dan here. Uh, so yeah, come come out to that and meet some movie movie boys. And uh, I think. <laughs> Guys, we know what you want. Yeah. And it's movie, movie it's boys. It's movie, movie boys. So if you want to come yeah. out and meet the movie, movie boys, like it sounds like shot boys and shot girls yeah. at the at the bar. Movie, yeah. movie, boys. movie, movie boys. Okay, you know what? New announcement yeah. at the at the screening of the thing. I'm gonna hire a team of movie, movie boys <laughs> and movie, movie girls to serve you popcorn in the. Uh, this is definitely not gonna happen, but it's gonna <laughs> happen. So. Uh, yeah. There's going to be movie, movie boys. And so that's October 30th, the Ritz 5, is that right? October 30th at the Ritz 5. Um, you can come meet the movie, movie boys. Yeah, come meet the movie, movie boys. Come watch this awesome movie and, yeah. uh, you know, watch me, like, fucking shit the bed and embarrass myself because I'm going to be geeking out hardcore. So, uh, it's gonna yeah, be great. definitely come check it out. All right, let's wrap this thing up, Dan. Boom. Uh, my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan I almost said my name is Garrett Smith. <laughs> my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie. And my name is Dan Scully and I like to movie movie. Of Rick and we'll oh, <laughs> Brick and Mortar. Rick, Rick and Morty. <laughs> we all know that you like to Rick and Morty because, because we, we like to, to Garrett movie. Dan, no, Dan. movie. Morty? Mor- movie boys. Porter. <laughs> movie, movie, boys. movie movie boys. <laughs>